0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Is That Too Dark? I'm Nikki. I'm Kaylin. And we're a true crime podcast. And we took like a week off, but thanks for sticking with us. Not really though,
1: if you think about it, because we did upload Wednesday. We just didn't upload Sunday, you know, things happen, life happens, but here we are. Here we are. Back at it. And we have lots of news, I feel like. Yeah. In my opinion, like three big things have been happening in the news yeah definitely what's the
0: third thing because i have a couple of things
1: well let's see what you have and then i'll see i'll fill in the gaps okay where it's needed
0: the first one obviously is that brian stupid laundry um officially like claimed responsibility for killing gabby petito apparently
1: allegedly allegedly. according to the fbi in his notebook he claimed responsibility
0: and it's interesting because they had already ruled his death a suicide right gunshot wound to the head they assumed that it was a suicide and they later confirmed that that was the only possible thing that could have happened right my confusion comes from the cnn article saying that the revolver was found in his backpack the revolver that he used to kill himself.
1: So I never heard that.
0: It's just, yeah, it, I've seen it in a couple different articles. I'm not saying, like, that's for sure, for sure what happened. I know the family and the investigators have been, like, pretty tight-lipped about it. But regardless, like, there someone is putting it out into the universe that the revolver was found in his backpack. And I'm like, how did he kill himself and then stash the murder weapon um, or the suicide weapon? But regardless... Um, the big update is he's still dead, and that he claimed alleged responsibility for killing Gabby in his journal slash notebook. It just all um, seems so neat and tidy. Yeah, well, and it's like I still am suspicious that his parents were like, "Hey, like, well, oh no, his, his parents son. do something.
1: His parents do and, something for sure." Yeah,
0: and. I was, I don't remember who the user is on TikTok, but I was watching TikTok and it was like someone who used to be in prison. And she was like, yeah, this sounds very much like, um, you know, a bargain with the investigators for um, immunity that they knew something and they're only cooperating if they're not going to be like charged with anything. But um, I do want to say like the laundry family lawyer um, Bertolino He like did a quote to CNN. He said, Gabby and Brian are no longer with their families. And this tragedy has caused enormous emotional pain and suffering to all who loved either or both of them. We can only hope that with today's closure of the case, each family can begin to heal and move forward and find peace in and with the memories of their children. May Gabby and Brian both rest in peace. And I'm like, no, I don't want Brian to rest in peace.
1: No, Brian doesn't deserve to, to rest in peace. And, you know, yeah. I mean, we can't take. Yes, obviously, his parents are suffering and his sister suffering and their extended family is suffering. I get that. Like, his actions aren't on his parents, even though I do think his parents have some sort of knowing. I think they know more than they're letting on. So I won't discount their grief. I won't. You know, that's like fair. they have to deal with a lot. And I think a lot of people kind of always overlook the murderer's family when they had nothing to do with it. You know, not only are they dealing with dealing with what their son or daughter did, you know, what Brian did to Gabby, they're dealing with he's also dead. So they have a lot to deal with. So I get hoping peace for them. But I don't fucking hope peace for Brian Laundry. What the fuck?
0: Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, regardless of what led to whatever caused him to snap and murder gabby or maybe he was planning you know to murder gabby the whole time whatever it was like it's not on their families to feel guilty for it it's not like they could have known but i will say i have a little less sympathy for his parents because they were not helpful this entire time yeah and i
1: do think you know they could have helped a lot more than they did help so that's on them but i am glad that this seems to be coming to a close and i'm really just glad for gabby's family that they will hopefully get some peace there i mean we all knew brian did it we don't need whatever confession the fbi saying they have like obviously we knew he did it who else would have done it like come on exactly like he was the only one with her come on
0: well and if he didn't do it why did he leave her behind kind of thing you know so i mean it was her
1: car you know do you think she really would have let him take the car come on exactly just like okay well even in those like here. arrest um when not when they got arrested but when they got pulled over she took the car like the police mm-hmm. were like well it's your car so you take the car so anyways it's very sad it's a very sad situation and our thoughts as always are with uh the potato family and yeah i do hope this you know brings closure i think it's in a very knee and tidy bow which is always sus to me um but we all know who did it so
0: yeah. yeah, but I'm glad we can finally put, like, you know, a pin in this case and call it
1: yeah over
0: for the sake of everyone having to relive it every day.
1: Yeah, and then what else do you have for us? Okay,
0: so the next big thing to me was... Alabama um, executed its first death row prisoner in two years.
1: Oh, I have not um, heard about this.
0: Oh, okay. So, yay. We have four things, I guess, because there's two other things to talk about. You um, have two other things? Well, no, but you said you had three, and my one isn't one of them. So, oh, okay. um, anyway. Matthew Reeves was executed in Alabama. Um, This is pretty controversial, actually, because he was said to have mental delays. His IQ was only 70. And as such, um, he was not given any accommodations to fully understand his rights as a death row prisoner. Um, In Alabama, I guess in the past couple of years, they've changed... um, The way they execute people, they give the prisoners Mm -hmm. a choice. um, What a what, how nice. So basically, the choice was to have like a nitrogen gas execution or a lethal injection execution. The nitrogen gas is basically a new newly approved form of execution um, in the state of Alabama where they hook you up to a nitrogen gas tank instead of like an oxygen tank and it suffocates the cells in your body but it's supposed to be painless Um, and Reeves was served those papers that allowed him to choose his execution method in 2018 um, but because of his intellectual disability it Is basically argued that he didn't understand what the paperwork was saying and so he didn't opt in for like the so-called less torturous method of execution and as such died by lethal injection um his lawyers are saying that he should have been given assistance under the american with disabilities act and he was not so um Yeah, that's that first execution in Alabama after a while, and it's a little bit of a controversial one. I just Um,
1: love the idea of giving people options, I suppose. Alabama, (laughs) and I could be
0: speaking like a little bit without very much information. I know North Carolina started doing this where you can choose your method of execution, and I believe Alabama might be the second state to offer that to their death row prisoners. I hate it. Yeah, and it's, to me, I know he, like, I'm sure he did bad things, you don't end up on death row and, like, killed if you aren't at least accused of doing something bad, right? Um, mm. But it says he had no final words. He, ch- he opted out of his final meal, and he did not request or accept a spiritual advisor for his execution. Um, and he basically just laid there and took it. Like, he winced because it was painful, and, like, looked at the IV and that was all the movement or any kind of, like, communication he had as he was dying.
1: Yeah. So. I mean, what else? What other choice is there?
0: Right. Exactly. Um, and I'm sure – I'm not as educated, but I'm sure one of the three things you were mentioning was going to be the Murdoch case, right? No. Oh, okay. Then you do your thing. What What were the news <laughs> but, that um, I missed? But <laughs> I have
1: been listening to the Murdoch Murders podcast. Very good. I am there's so many episodes I'm like trying to catch up, but that is a case. Oh, that's a case. Oh, that's a case. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised you're not talking about Lauren Smith Fields.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised that I'm not talking about that
1: too. It, you're giving me the vibe that you don't know what I'm I talking about. I have no about. idea what you're talking about. I'm are you like, kidding me? I I'm mean, been... people are calling this literally the current Gabby Petito. Really? Like, yeah, so Lauren Smith Fields. Um <clears throat> It's blowing up right now because um, it's all very shady. So she's 23 years old um, and she was found dead um, on December 12th. I'm getting all this from a People article, by the way. She was found dead on December 12th in an apartment of a Bumble date that she went on. And the Bumble match that she had is like a 37-year-old white man Um and she was last seen with him and he obviously called the police and they're saying there's no foul play involved and they're um, classifying it as an accidental overdose. Oh, which... this is
0: what you were telling me about with the fentanyl, right?
1: No, I don't think I've even talked to you about this.
0: I think you have. But anyway, continue. Please
1: tell us. Because I haven't talked to anyone about it. Everyone is like, yeah, that just doesn't add up. Um, He called 911 after realizing her nose was bleeding and that she'd stopped breathing. And the biggest thing that everyone is, like, really mad about is that the police literally said, the guy the bumble date was a really nice guy and that there was no need to investigate
0: okay so it wasn't you that was talking to me about this i listened to morbid and they talked about this and they They this is the case where the police literally left a note a note on her her door door, right and we're like if you're looking
1: for lauren do this yeah it was on the last episode of morbid or like two episodes ago they upload so much i don't know um but yeah they talked about it on morbid and people are furious because Everything that the police are saying is just ridiculous. Um, the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut, I guess, is saying that they are going to internally investigate the department because of the handling of this case. Um, because obviously writing a note on someone's door and say, hey, if you're looking for this person called the police is ridiculous in its own right. Right. If that was the only thing here, that'd be something to talk about. But on top of that, like nothing is adding up in this case, in my opinion. Yeah, no,
0: I'm with you. And the police don't really seem to be taking any kind of proactive steps. But there on was it fentanyl.
1: They're saying um, diet of acute intoxication due to the combined effects of fentanyl, pro manzolene, hydroxide, and alcohol, which, like, okay, yeah, it can be an accidental overdose, but there's fentanyl in it. So let's talk about that. Why what? aren't we investigating why this man had whatever drug this was? Why aren't we investigating this further? Why are we just saying, oh, he's nice? He seems like a good guy. And sorry, in my opinion, I do think this is racially motivated. She's a black woman. He's a white man. Right. And they met on a dating app, which nothing wrong with dating apps. That's how literally everyone meets everyone nowadays. But older people, I think, still have a weird, you know, thought about it. No, no. That's what I, I thought you were going to talk about. I, was talking about it.
0: I don't know why I, like, just actively ignored it other than I and brain dead but
1: um I mean, yeah. I'm glad you brought it
0: up because I remember listening to Ash and Elena talking about it and I was like oh my god how are we yeah. doing this again after the Gabby Petito case like I mean if we're, we're just looking for Lauren contact this
1: number excuse that's me that's so ridiculous to me if you're looking for Lauren and a note on a door which like okay I live in an apartment complex if there's a note sitting on my neighbor's door for like four or five days I assume they moved out, and I take the note down and I throw it away you right. know what I mean because it's yeah. annoying like, if right. you're their neighbor, it's annoying. It. I mean, maybe that's not what I should do, but that's what I do. <laughs> because I'm like, it's been five days. If it's still sitting on your door, goodbye. You obviously don't care about it. Like, it looks ugly to me. <laughs> but I really do hope there is some justice for her in this situation because this is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, no, hopefully the family is able to sue that police department and get actual, you know, come up and s- and answers in the death of their daughter so yeah all right are you ready to get into my case because i'm very excited i'm excited to hear it i've been waiting and waiting
1: and waiting here we are let's go do it so i am going to talk about aaron hernandez daddy
0: hernandez he's very good looking yes
1: <laughs> um yes he was a very good looking man even like his high school photos i'm like this man is 35 mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. look like he was ever in high school he never he's, had that high school phase in the photos i've seen he's grown he's a grown man that's what football does to you he's a grown man <laughs> okay so aaron joseph hernandez was born on november 6 1989 in bristol connecticut look at us Connecticut all around to Connecticut um, to Dennis and Terry Hernandez that he was their second child. He has an older brother named Dennis Hernandez Jr. Um, I've seen him called DJ and Jonathan multiple other sources. I'm going to call him Jonathan because he published a book titled The Truth About Aaron under that name. So I'm assuming that is what he prefers to be called hmm. Dennis and Terry. Not a great relationship. We're not relationship goals. Um, Aaron would later say he remembered his mother kicking his father out on multiple occasions. But they always worked it out. However, they their issues would eventually become too much for the couple. And they divorced in 1991 after five years of marriage. So they were originally married in 1986. But the couple later worked it out and got remarried five years later in 1996. Ten years after their original marriage. Dennis was known to be the anchor of the family. He was really the rock. He was, you know, typical man of the family. He was a sports star in his youth as well. Um, he was so good. He played football in college at the University of Connecticut, and he pushed his sons to be the best, both academically and in sports. Uh, for, by all accounts, the pressure did become really extreme to both of the sons. You know, it's just a lot of pressure. I feel like growing up, you have to be the best in everything. And your dad was a great football player. and. So, behind closed doors, Dennis was a completely different person. He would often beat his sons and wife. Sometimes this is alcohol-induced. Other times, it was just when he felt that his sons weren't working hard enough. He had a super short temper. As an adult, Aaron would tell people that it was common that Dennis would beat all three of them at once. Like, he would get pissed at one of them and just take it out on all of them. What the Um, fuck? Yeah. One story he told was Dennis was coming home drunk. Jonathan and Aaron were already in bed But Aaron woke up to his parents arguing. He said he could hear his father beating his mother and slamming her head against the bathroom sink repeatedly. Um, And then when so obviously not a good childhood for Aaron or for Jonathan to grow up in. Right. Right. When Aaron or his brother wanted to play with friends, it was not uncommon for Dennis to make them shoot 500 baskets before they were allowed to go out. And at one point, Jonathan threatened to call the police on his father, to which his father said, call them. And he handed him the phone and said, I'm going to beat you even harder, you and your brother, and they're going to have to pull me off you when they knock the door down. And this is something that Jonathan told the Globe. What a narcissistic approach to parenting. I mean, traumatizing, right? Like, you're like, as a kid, I mean, as a kid, I feel like everyone threatens to call CPS on their parents, mm-hmm. um, just for fun. I don't right. know. I don't, I don't think you realize what CPS is as a kid, but obviously Dennis knew he would actually get in trouble, you know? Like, my parents would be like, go ahead, call him. Yeah. What are you going to do? See you later. Where Dennis is like, oh, no, if you call them, I'm going to get you, which... I'm going to make it, re- like, give you a reason for them
0: to come out here kind of thing. Exactly. So, yeah.
1: it's very obvious that... Um, the Hernandez brothers were terrified of Dennis but they also had like they idolized him you know this is their dad he played the sports they loved and he was very involved in their lives in that way so it was a very complex relationship and I couldn't imagine like a child trying to figure out this relationship in their head they wanted to please him they wanted him to love them and despite their abuse I think he they just wanted their dad to love them a way the father should love his children. Aaron felt that he and Dennis had an extremely close relationship and he would confide in him about everything going on in his life. There is one confirmed instance where Dennis's abuse was very public. At football practice, um, he did not agree with one of Aaron's coaches' calls. So he punched the coach in the stomach.
0: Oh, okay. That's like the way to <laughs> Yeah. Get
1: so your point I mean, if that's showing, you know, that short temper to an adult. Let's think about what goes on at home and the reality of what was going on at home. Right. Right. Um, From what I can find, nothing really came of this. I think they were just like, get out of here. As an adult, Aaron confided in the people he was closest with that he was sexually molested as a child. When the globe asked Jonathan about this, he confirmed that he was that Aaron was molested, but declined to give further information about the situation. Aaron's lawyer, George, Linatire told the globe that he was molested pretty intensely um but because we can't ask Aaron this is really all I'm going to say about the situation his brother was pretty closed lip which to me means it's not really something that they want talked about and debated about now
0: well yeah given that we I mean spoiler alert Aaron's dead so it's one of those you know
1: yeah. Respect
0: so to him, respect to the family. Exactly.
1: And it's really just like kind of, you know, from all accounts, kind of a side note in the bigger picture, even though I'm sure it did a lot of damage to him. It wasn't like he constantly talked about it. Um, so who knows how much details are actually out there. But despite this very rough childhood, Aaron did phenomenal in sports. He attended Bristol Central High School where he played football as a wide receiver, tight end and a defensive end. He played basketball. He ran track. He did well in every single one of these sports. There was, I mean, football he favored and he liked the best and was probably the best at, but he did well in everything he did. Um, If you're looking for football stats, I'm just going to let you know now. I'm not going to say any of them because I don't understand football, and it would be like (laughs) reading French to me. Um, Even figuring out what a wide wide receiver, tight end, and defensive end. Don't know the difference. They could all be one position in my opinion. I don't know. So. If you're here for the stats, you're at the wrong podcast. I'm so sorry to break it to you. In 2006, at the age of 16, Aaron's world would be drastically changed. His father, Dennis, died while in surgery for a hernia repair by all accounts, Aaron was devastated, um, but he learned at a very young age from his father not to show his emotions, and a lot of people account Dennis's death to the beginning of Aaron's downfall, um, but other people also said this made him work harder, um, especially in sports because he wanted to make his dad proud. It seemed that he was the most passionate about football, and when he was a senior in high school, he won Connecticut's Gatorade Football Player of the Year which must be a big deal. I don't know. While he was excelling in sports, um, no one, you know, was really holding him accountable for his grades because his dad had died. And I don't know what his mom was really doing. Um, But once his dad died, he stopped caring about his grades. Um, Like I said, this could be the fact that he was grieving. This also could be the fact that after his dad died, he really started to smoke a lot of pot and drink. And these are two things that continue on in his life. You know, he's being sociable. He has a girlfriend at this point. Could be a lot of reasons why his grades aren't doing well. Um, He also said as an adult, he believes he had ADHD. And since it was never properly taken care of, it was hard for him to focus in class. I'm not sure if he was ever properly diagnosed with ADHD, um, but he does kind of blame his mom for not taking care of that or getting him diagnosed because he does think that's why he didn't do well uh, academically, and it was really hard for him, which could be very true. Um, But like I said, he was drinking, smoking pot, partying. He was dating Shayana Jenkins, which later became his fiance and mother of his child. They had known each other since elementary school, um, and after the death of his father, Aaron's relationship with his mother really began to struggle. So they argued a lot. And a few months after Dennis's death, Aaron had enough of his mom and moved in with his cousin, Tanya, and her husband, Jeff. They really seemed like a good support system for Aaron. Aaron would later say that his cousin was more like a mom to him than his mom ever was. Um, And things were good for him for a few months, for a while. Um, This was until it came out that Jeff was cheating on Tanya. So another blow to Aaron. Um, Wasn't Jeff cheating on... I'm getting there. Jeff was cheating on Tanya with Terry, Aaron's mother. The scandal. So Tanya took Aaron and left. Um, And I think this probably caused them to really bond. And just to let you know that uh, Jeff and Terry did eventually get married. So... A lot of stuff going on for Aaron. I mean, Aaron really at this point, I would say his only safe people in his life are Tanya, his brother and his girlfriend and his dad died when he was 16. So lots going on and we're still in high school.
0: And this is, like, even without acknowledging the sexual assault and stuff. Right. Yeah, and
1: the abuse his dad put him through, right? Right. Um, Despite all of this, at the age of 17, the University of Connecticut, and this is the same university that his father went to, the same university his brother was currently at and playing football as a quarterback, they attempted to recruit him. He was not super into the University of Connecticut, um, but he did feel an obligation to his family. So he originally did accept the offer. However, he did later rescind this acceptance after he got an offer from the University of Florida. He did just say he felt more at home at the University of Florida when he toured both schools. He had no connection to Connecticut besides the fact that his dad and brother were there and it was their dream, him and his brother's dream, to play on the same team together. But at the end of the day, he had to go with his heart and the University of Florida is where his heart was. Now, the University of Florida's coach at the time was Urban Meyer, big football coach, I guess. So he was super juiced about that. Um, But he was excited. So Aaron's grades were still not good. um, But the University of Florida was like, "Eh, who cares? Urban Meyer himself flew out to the high school and somehow convinced the school to allow Aaron to graduate a semester early. So at the age of 17, he went off to live in Florida by himself.
0: Oh, sure. That's what you know, that's a great Yeah, and really,
1: because he has a November baby, he would have been 17 anyways, but he was, like, early 17 because he left school a semester early. Um, So, on April 28th, 17-year-old Aaron, because he's newly living in Florida, got into a bar with Tim Tebow. Isn't that a fun fact? With Tim Tebow. <laughs> what was he doing there? <laughs> uh, I think they went to school together. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. You know, Wikipedia could be lying to me on this one. Right. Um, Tim Tebow. Interesting. He was seen having two drinks, but then appeared very intoxicated. And he got into a fight with an employee at a bar over him not tipping. He punched the employee in the head, which resulted in the employee's eardrum bursting. Aaron was like, oh, fuck, I'm gonna be in trouble. So he called coach Urban Meyer and Urban called the lawyers. They were like, we got to get on this. This is something seems like, you know, the football coaches know about. So the lawyer is Huntley Johnson. The police recommended pressing battery charges, um, but the team allegedly paid the employee off and charges were never pressed. Yikes. So this is just the very first step in Aaron just getting out of trouble and, you know, learning that he can get out of trouble. Right. But the people around him are quickly learning that he also has a quick temper, just like his dad. So in Aaron's freshman year of college, he really excelled at football. He started 11 of the team's 13 games. But again, academically, he was not doing well. He had to take remedial courses at the Santa Fe Community College to catch up. Um, But he was still school did not matter to him at this time. He was still heavily smoking and drinking and partying. His teammates also didn't really vibe with him. They complained often of a short temper and how he was not able to do anything sober. He always at least had to be high. On
0: September. That's the precedent he set for himself for
1: so long. I mean, at this point, you know, if he'd been, we know he started smoking weed at least or was smoking weed after his dad died, maybe even before that. It's been, you know, two or three years of this. Right. So on September 30th, 2007, at a stoplight outside of a nightclub, five shots were fired into a car. Inside the car were Randall Carson, Justin Glass, and Corey Smith. Corey was shot in the back of the head and Justin was shot in the arm. Luckily, both of them survived. Also, luckily, the men were able to give a description of the shooter to the police. Randall told police that the shooter was Hispanic or Hawaiian, was tall, built, and was covered in tattoos and I, you know, go back to this TikTok I saw that was like, please cover your tattoos if you're going to do crime. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, tattoos are one thing that unfortunately, they can, you know, I mean, a lot of tattoos are similar, but also not the same. So when Randall was shown a lineup of photos, he picked out Aaron Hernandez as the shooter. The police went to the University of Florida and to Urban Meyer demanding they speak to Aaron and two of the teammates right away. Four hours later, The three boys arrived. Urban was like, I'm on it. I'll get them four hours later. So who knows what was going on in that four hours between that time. Right. Um, Now the two other teammates cooperated with the police. Aaron was like, no, I want a lawyer. Um, After speaking to Aaron, no charges were filed in 2017. The case was officially closed after Aaron was officially ruled out as a suspect. So that's kind of the end of that. Um, But now we're going into 2008. Aaron's now a sophomore in college, and he wasn't able to start the season because he failed a drug test. After that situation cleared itself up, he started 11 of 13 games, still going strong. Going into his junior year, he was still doing great. He was so good. He won the John Mackey Award for the nation's best tight end. Aaron was still heavily using drugs and drinking. Um, Pretty much everyone, professors, coaches, teammates, knew he was always high everyone has spoken being like yeah he was always high it's just interesting that that was like okay well whatever you know play good football do what you want well so around this time it was kind of getting out of control and this was a time where they sat him down and they said you need to get sober um Aaron was like I don't have a problem you have a problem so (laughs) um, I'm not I'm I have no issue to I have no reason to get sober so the coaches were like okay you either get sober or you don't play football for your senior year, which senior year, you know, it was a big deal. It's your last year. It's also after that you can go into the, well, you could go into the NFL, I guess once you turn 18, but in college, you know, that's when the offers are going to start coming in. Right. Like, or I don't know how it works, but the draft, the draft. Yeah. (laughs) So basically he had to get sober if he wanted to continue to play football, but Aaron, here's the big thing. Aaron knew he was good at this. Aaron knew he was a good football player, and Aaron also knew that he would most likely get signed to an NFL team despite playing football senior year or not. So he was like, fuck you. I'm not going to get sober. I'm actually just going to drop out of college and enter the 2010 NFL draft. Now, Nothing. I guess it's it's not like you can just enter the draft. Um, I guess it's kind of hard to enter the draft. This isn't like um, going to the military will take anyone. You know, <laughs> there are some requirements, I guess. I don't know. Um, but – the draft was looking into Aaron and they realized he had quite a history of run-ins with the law and his college team dropping him. None of these are good signs. You know, I don't know how many professional football teams want that big of a troublemaker at the age of 22 or maybe 21. Um, so during the offseason he also pulled a muscle on his back, meaning he was unable to participate in the NFL scouting combine. So, so far things aren't starting well for his ability to enter the draft. He was, however, able to participate in Florida's Pro Day. During this, he ranked really well, um, but Aaron still knew that the cards were stacked against him because of his history, very easily look upable history, right? So he was like, I'm going to write a letter. He wrote a letter to pretty much every NFL team saying that he loved football. It was his passion in life. He would play on any team, and he was ready to get serious. He was going to turn it around. Um, if he got signed to a team, he would take a drug test every other week to prove he was sober. So he was like, I'm ready. I've learned my lesson. I want to be a football player. So this obviously worked, um, because Aaron was signed for in the fourth round of the 2010 draft 113th by the new England Patriots. This was so exciting to him. Um, but fourth round I guess many teams did pass him up because of the rumored drug issues they said yeah he was great but we don't want the bad reputation so I guess the fourth round pick isn't the best I don't know but according it's not the first round so if it's not the first round you're a loser I guess Um, according to Wikipedia on June 8th, 2010, the Patriots signed Hernandez to a four year $2.37 million contract that including a signing bonus of $200,000, the terms of his contract limited Hernandez's signing bonus to $200,000, which was less than half of the signing bonus received by the Patriots fourth round pick, um, Steven Grosowski in 2006 the Patriots declined to give Hernandez the expected $500,000 signing bonus as a precautionary measure to compensate for the smaller signing bonus. He received a contract that included a series of roster and workout bonuses up to an additional $700,000. If Hernandez reached all bonuses and escalators, he would receive an annual salary comparable to a third rounder, but would have to walk the straight and narrow line to do so. End quote. So if that means anything to you, there's that. (laughs) So he was getting paid good money, but also the Patriots seemed to understand the risk of taking him on. Um, That's what I got from all that. But I did want to get a little bit into money there. Um, Aaron started the 2010 season as the youngest player on an active roster in the NFL. At the end of the season, the Patriots ended first in the AFC East with a 14 to 2 record. 2011 was also a great season for him. The team was so good that they made it to the Super Bowl. The Patriots lost, however, to the New York Giants 21 to 17. But in that game, Aaron caught eight passes for 67 yards and made a 12 yard touchdown reception. So look at me. Football pro. You have no idea what you just said. <laughs> no, no, but it seems, it, it, I saw it was good. So it must be good. Big
0: man ran fast. He they ran won. fast.
1: No, they lost. Oh, they didn't. But win. he still did. Do- did good. Yeah. Good did work. Sports. Good Great job. <laughs> he did sports. <laughs> On July 16th, 2012, 29 year old Daniel Jorge Correa Day. I'm so sorry for this. I'm so sorry. Um, Correa Day Abreu, maybe? A B R E U. We're going to try April. our best. Yeah, I think so. And 28 year old, and this one's even worse. I'm so sorry. Sofrio Texeria Furtado is what I'm going to go with were killed after gunshots were fired into their vehicle. Witnesses would tell police that they saw a silver SUV pull up next to the victim's car, heard racial slurs being yelled. Then someone in the silver SUV shot into the car five times, killing both occupants. When police looked at surveillance footage in the area, they saw Aaron Hernandez getting into an argument with these men prior to their murder. The footage showed Aaron with his friend arguing with the men and following them out of the bar. So, of course, Aaron becomes police suspect number one. This is one of the first times, you know, I've heard of security camera footage working. So that's great. Not good for Aaron, but good for the police. Um, However, there was no physical evidence linking Aaron to the car. Um, He doesn't even own a silver SUV. So the police were like, well... There was no rentals in his name. He doesn't own the SUV. His friend doesn't own an SUV. He must not be a suspect. They might have just got into a fight. The 27th of August, um, this was, you know, a month later, the Patriots signed Hernandez to a five-year $39.58 million contract with an extension that includes $15.95 million guaranteed and a signing bonus of $12.5 million. The $12.5 signing bonus was the largest signing bonus ever received by an NFL tight end. His $40 million total was the second largest contract extension ever given to a tight end. Hernandez gave $50,000 of that bonus to a charity named named for the late wife of a Patriots owner. End quote. Again, from Wikipedia. Thank you for that. So he is rolling in the dough. He's rich. He's doing great. He feels unstoppable. As
0: most young Um, 20s do.
1: Yeah. And, you know, life is good for him. He actually got engaged to Cheyenne and they had their first daughter, daughter Aviel. Um, so th- things were going good for him. You know, things seem to be getting better. You know, he had a shitty childhood, shitty teenagehood, but it looks like he is living the dream, right? In February of 2013, Aaron and his friend, Alexander Bradley, were spending the night at a strip club. Woohoo. In Florida, though? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> what all good dads do? No. New England Patriots, where's that? I don't think he was in Florida at that point. Oh, okay. We'll continue. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I actually didn't get the address for the strip club. He could have been anywhere. Where Where do the Patriots play? I'm so sorry. New this England. So Boston. 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 But he might have been in Florida. Who knows? Um, during this trip, like any good father, new father, um, he spent over $10,000. So Aaron was, you know, doing his thing, and he got into a fight over a lost phone. Um. Aaron was so angry that he shot Alexander in the face, resulting in him losing his right eye. Then he left him bleeding in a parking lot. The next morning, when Alexander was found by the police, he refused to tell them what happened. Instead, he began texting Aaron, blackmailing him. He demanded five million dollars, to which Aaron said that he'd give him one point five million. I mean, we're debating. This is Shark Tank here for a lost eye. Um, (laughs) Alexander then countered with two point five million, and instead of replying, Aaron got his lawyers involved. Alexander did finally settle in 2016 by the amount that was never disclosed. Um, And none of this, none of the story came out until Aaron's trial when Alexander was on the witness stand, but timeline wise, this is what's happening for him. So fast forward again to June 17th, 2013, the body of 27 year old Odin Lloyd was found by a jogger. Odin's body had gunshot wounds to his back and chest. Odin was Aaron's brother-in-law. So it's Aaron's wife, or Shana. Shania, her fiance, I guess. Um, sister, it's her sister's partner. So kind of a brother-in-law, to gotcha. become a brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Odin was also a football player and he was very talented. He wasn't in the NFL yet, but if he would have continued to live, that's where he was going. His body was found a mile away from Aaron's home. At the crime scene, the police saw tire tracks and footprints. The police also had security footage from a nearby building and were able to talk to night shift workers in the area. While looking through Odin's phone, police found many texts from Aaron, which now placed the pair together the night before. So the texts were kind of giving a timeline of the night. It showed that they were making plans. Um, So the police were like, great. He definitely saw him. When the police questioned Aaron, though, he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Police wasted literally no time. They were like, you do know what we're talking about. They searched Aaron's home the next day. They took all the security camera footage um, of Aaron's, you know, big fat mansion to get a better idea of what happened the night before. Aaron, you know, not super smart, didn't delete any of this footage. Good for the police. Not good for Aaron. So the security camera footage from Aaron's house showed his friends, Ernest Wallace and Carlos Ortiz arriving on the 17th of June around midnight. Again, father of the year. Like, I would be pissed if I was Shania. Sh- Shania. I've said her name 15 different times. And Shiana. you know what? Shiana. In all the videos I've watched, they said her name, like, three different times, too. I think it's Shiana. Say it again. Shiana. Shiana. I think that's actually how it's said, though. So yeah. I'm so sorry to her. She's gone through enough. Um, but his friends arrive around midnight. The texts from the three of them have them discussing a meeting. But the meeting was never into more detail. At 1.09 a.m., the three leave Aaron's house in a rented silver Nissan. Weird. That he's renting a Nissan when he has multiple of his own cars in his own garage. But okay. And it's like a Nissan Ultima. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, this big man in an Ultima. In an Ultima. And it's me? like, how much money do you have? You're at your house. I know you have your own cars. But okay. Um, at some point, or at this point, Aaron starts texting Odin to see if he wants to hang out. Odin was hanging out with his other friends, but he was like, sure, um, I'll come hang out with you. Now, this is like, i want to say it was like a monday or a sunday like none of y'all got anything to do the next day but they're going out they're on the town um so he goes to hang out with aaron carlos and Ernst. gas station security footage catches aaron buying gum around 2 a.m and then they go pick him, Odin up at 3 a.m Odin texts his sister do you know who i am with his sister responds a few minutes later saying sorry my phone died odin then responds nfl so that conversation doesn't make a lot of sense right you're i mean yeah no, brother, there's nothing if my brother texts me at 3am do you know who i'm with first of all i'd be asleep or depending on the day i guess if it's a weekday i'm up but i would be like no how the fuck would i know who you're with like i'm not even with you you know but at 3 30 the security camera near where odin's body is found shows a silver nissan the employees working nearby say they hear hear three to four pops Then uh, Aaron arrives home a few minutes after the shooting, most likely happened, gets out of the car alone and with a gun in his hand. I mean, like literally he's just walking around in the security footage with a gun in his hand, very clearly in his hand. Like, he's carrying a mug of coffee. Like, it's crazy watching this footage.
0: Well, he's at his own house, though, right? So right. there's no reason to, like, holster it or hide it because it's his own property. And like Still weird. said before, he thinks he's invincible. Yeah. So why would the police need to access his information? He said he didn't do it. He's Aaron Hernandez. It's yeah. fine. It's, like, 3.30 so- a.m., though,
1: and you're just walking around with a gun, like, Okay, weird flex there. So, the police checked the tire tracks, of course, at the crime scene. And guess what? It matched with the silver Nissan Aaron was driving. No way. The, The shoe print also matches shoes Aaron owns. A bullet casing was also found in the dumpster nearby, as well as the gum that Aaron purchased at the gas station. Aaron's DNA was found on the bullet casing. And the bullet casing matched Aaron's gun and wounds found on Odin's body. So smoking gun literally for aaron on june 26 aaron was arrested and charged with first degree murder as well as five other gun charges this footage is i don't know why it's so funny to me like his hands are completely underneath his white t-shirt he's wearing i'm sure everyone has seen this Mm -hmm. i'll post a picture on our instagram post and he's in handcuffs and i'm like why are you why are you underneath your shirt like i get i think he wasn't trying to make a scene but also like it's more obvious to me that you're handcuffed when you're Hands are under, like, your arms are in your shirt, like right. a child that's cold. Yeah. Um, Carlos and Ernest were also arrested and charged as accessories to the murder. Obviously, the media blew the fuck up. They were like, I mean, everyone was all over this. Um, the New England Patriots quickly dropped Aaron as a player because he did not finish his contract. He had to forfeit his salaries from 2013 on Within hours of his arrest, the Patriots stopped selling Aaron's merchandise and gave refunds to thousands of people who owned his jersey. Isn't wow! That crazy. And I think there was also, um, like this was literally day one of the arrests. Like they wasted no time. And also, there's videos of people burning his jersey.
0: There's no way that like any remaining jerseys of his aren't worth like I have to be worth so much money.
1: Okay, I'm gonna keep going, but you look yeah. this up. Um. So now, with all three men in jail, police begin looking for the motive. Police found surveillance cameras from a club that showed that two days before Odin's murder, Aaron, Carlos, and Ernest were arguing with Odin. The argument was suspected to be about money Odin owed Aaron over weed, which, like, are you kidding me? How much money do you have, Aaron? Like, if that's the motive, come on. Um, Aaron pled not guilty to first-degree murder. Aaron's lawyers did their best to defend him saying he did not believe he murdered odin but believe he has something to do with it so he's like i don't think he pulled the trigger but i do think he was there and knows what happened which is an interesting stance to take i suppose Um, Aaron was found guilty of first degree murder in 2015 without the possibility of parole. But the one thing the police have never found is the murder weapon. Security footage, however, shows Cheyenne carrying a box out with the trash after tech showed Aaron telling her to do this. And this is again at their home. When she was questioned during the trial, she said she didn't know what was in the box and thinks she threw it away in the dumpster. Um, I just listened to Aaron, which I think shows a lot of how the relationship was, right? Like, he just texted her, hey, throw this away for me. And she didn't even question it. She says she doesn't lo- didn't look in the box. And that's it. And she stood by him the whole time. Like, everyone in her family was like are you kidding me he obviously killed odin she was like no he didn't and she still stands by his side to this day if you watch the netflix docu-series like it's very clear that she very much is so in love with him and i think stood by his side no matter what i mean there was times where he apparently cheated on her in their relationship and she stood by him and i think i feel really bad for her truly i think she's a victim in a lot of this too I don't know if he gaslit her or what, but she is so still by his side to this day. Um, Did you find out about the jerseys?
0: I did. So um, just regular like jerseys, not signed or anything, are going Mm -hmm. on average for about $350 to $450. That's like the average just on Mm. eBay. But if it's signed and autographed Aaron Hernandez, especially if it's like a Super Bowl edition jersey, um, $5,800 is the low end. Wow. And then if it's like a game jersey, we're looking at almost 7500. Wow. So there you go. Hopefully, I mean I know that money's not going to Cheyenne, but it's just interesting to me. Like the way it's
1: that dark like morbid curiosity, right? Like And I mean people aren't buying it, but yeah, there's that morbid thing of like the people that bought whatever, whatever serial killer was doing art in prison. Casey. Yeah. I was going to say, but I was like, I'm not sure if it's him. Um, people buying that art, you know, I mean, people are just, and in- I mean, we're literally doing a podcast about true crime. So right. I guess we're in that same spectrum. Um, yeah. But if you remember the 2012 double, ho- double homicide, do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. He was charged with these murders um, because what was found out is, you remember the car, they were like, Aaron doesn't own it. He couldn't have done it. It was his aunt's car. Um, and they found it in her garage. I don't know why they never looked and she was actually charged too because she never came forward and said it was her car. I think all those charges were later dropped and actually it's really sad cuz she was battling cancer during these trials. And I mean I know what you know, but she was like what, how was I supposed to know? I mean, I gave him my car, that's all I knew. Like, right. I mean everyone it feels like it feels like everyone in Aaron's life was big enablers. But at the and, same
0: time, it's not like he was like, hey, I'm going to go kill right. somebody. Let me and borrow it's
1: your like, car. It's under the assumption, too, that she was watching the news and knew all this was happening. And under the assumption that he told, she told, you know, Aaron told her, hey, by the way, I got questioned for this murder, you know. Um, but he was later acquitted. Um, his two counterparts, Carlos and Ernest, were charged with accessory to Odin's murder and were found guilty and sentenced to four to seven years in prison. So... Now he's in prison. It's reported that Aaron adjusted super well. They said he was the calmest he had ever been. Um, However, he was known to do drugs and it seemed that the prison staff just kind of turned a blind eye. So he was still smoking weed, still doing his thing. Um, Something else he did was a drug called K2, which has been known to cause psychosis. He spoke to his fiance twice a day, reconnected with his mom, and was even able to see his daughter from time to time. So all seems to be going well. He gets acquitted for that 2012 crime. All in all, um, Shanna was saying that like, he was really in high spirits. Things were going really well. He was hopeful that he was going to get um, released for Odin's murder because he got released for the other double homicide. And remember, she still thinks he's innocent. So hopes are high right now. Um, On April 19th, 2017, at 3.05 a.m., correction officers found Aaron hanging inside of his jail cell. He was pronounced dead at 4.07 a.m. Inside his prison cell, cardboard was wedged underneath the door to make it hard for the officers to get inside. There was a drawing on the wall done in Aaron's blood of a pyramid, all-seeing eye, and the word Illuminati under it. He also wrote John 3.16 on his forehead and his blood. There were also three suicide notes next to an open Bible. The first note was to his attorney, Jose Baez, thanking him for all his hard work during his trials. The second one was for his fiance, telling her how much he loved her. And the third one was to his daughter. Cheyenne does not believe Aaron killed himself though. She actually went on Dr. Phil and when talking about the suicide note said, and I quote, it screamed love, but it wasn't personal. It wasn't intimate. There were some odd parts, which didn't make sense. The handwriting was similar, but I feel, again, you have nothing but time in there, so I feel like it's easily duplicated or could be, end quote. And she also said he did not sign the note, your soulmate, and did not call her Bay or babe, um, which I guess is very strange. That's all he pretty much ever called her. So this note being signed differently or not calling her those pet names was weird to her. She also told Dr. Phil that in her last phone call, he seemed very happy. He was just acquitted and believed his appeal was going to go his way. Um, And she just all in all says she doesn't know what to believe. And she does still believe that Aaron is innocent of every single crime he's been accused of.
0: Part of that seems like she's being willfully blind, but also like you know the stages of grief with the denial and everything but if it genuinely doesn't read as something he would have written to her then i think it's good that she was like hey you know something seems off
1: but if we're thinking about it too what if he was high at the time
0: right or well yeah be weird because k2 is like a synthetic cannabis Mm -hmm. um so it's not like he, you know, if he didn't realize it was associated with like psychosis or whatever, it's not like he would know to like lower his dosage because if he's used to smoking as much as he was and yeah, all that. Well, so. and who knows
1: the quality of it in prison? Come on, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so let's briefly—I don't think we could talk, you know, be in this episode without talking about the rumor that Aaron was gay. Um, Dennis Sansui knew Aaron throughout middle school and high school and claims he and Aaron had a sexual relationship starting in middle school and continuing into high school. He said that he and Aaron did not want people to know that and they were both okay with being in a secret relationship. Dennis never shared this relationship with anyone until he told the globe about it after Aaron's death and said he would have Aaron's approval to tell the world. Shayana told Dr. Phil that when the rumors that Aaron was gay began, she straight up asked him because these weren't just like oh post-death rumors. These rumors were happening while he was um alive and he was like no. Adamantly denied it. Um and she says that she does not believe that Aaron was gay and doesn't really know how the rumors started. This Dennis person was also on that Netflix, um, docu-series, and it's interesting because he doesn't come out with it until after he died, which to me kind of screams that you just want, like, five minutes of fame. Right, like, um, let me attach myself to yeah. this. Yeah, and to me, it's, like, again, like, the molestation thing, it's not really something I want to talk too much about it, but I feel like it needs to be mentioned, um, But whether he was gay or not, that doesn't change the fact of anything that happened, right? He wasn't an out gay man, so I don't think it's fair to really speculate. And I don't think it's helpful to anyone to speculate. But I feel like I had to mention that. Um, No, I think it's definitely part of his story, so. Yeah, so now we're going to get into his death, um, post-death and CTE and everything like that. So Aaron's death was officially ruled a suicide by hanging. His family donated his brain to science, specifically Boston university and McKee is the head of Boston university CTE center. CT is chronic traumatic. Encephal- Encephalopathy. Yeah. That word <laughs> mm, you would think I didn't have a college degree. A progressive and fatal brain disease, a person develops CTE after sustaining repeated brain injuries such as concussions. Many people who have CTE will then develop dementia. And a person with CTE has difficulty with impulse control, decision-making, inhibition of impulses for aggression, emotional volatility, and rage behaviors. Many athletes, specifically football players, suffer from CTE. And And after studying, Aaron's brain said that he had stage three CTE, which has not ever been seen in someone under 46. She also said he has one of the most damaged brains she has ever seen. Um, His brain had significant amount of damage to the frontal lobe, which controls decision making and behavior. And said, in this age group, he's clearly at the severe end of the spectrum. There is a concern that we're seeing accelerated disease in young athletes. Whether or not that's because they're playing more aggressively or they're starting at younger ages, we don't know. But we're seeing ravages of this disease in this specific example of a young person. So I want to go to this article I saw to talk a little bit more about it by The Washington Post. It's by Adam Kilgore and it's titled Aaron Hernandez has suffered from the most severe CT ever found in a person his age. So I want to go into just a little bit more of what they found. Um, I think it's super great that they donated his brain to science though, because he was so young and they don't obviously get to examine young brains like this that often because most, you know, 26 you have year to olds be are still- so Right. You brain have to be examined. dead to have your brain examined. Um But I'm going to pretty much quote directly from this article because this article I read was so fantastic. So at a conference, McKee flipped through slides comparing sections of Hernandez's brain with a sample without CT. So like same age brain, but healthy. Hernandez's brain had dark spots associated with tau protein and shrunken withered areas compared to immaculate whites of the other sample. His brain had significant damage to the frontal lobe, which, like I said, impacts a person's ability to make decisions and moderate behavior. Hernandez also had a genetic marker that makes people vulnerable to certain brain diseases and could have contributed to how aggressively he developed CTE.
0: It's just interesting because CTE can only be diagnosed like after like postmortem, right? And yeah. we know there was I don't remember what the movie was called, but there was like a a box office movie about football players and brain damage and concussions. Mm-hmm. And we still don't have safety measures. We don't have, like, you told me earlier, he got hit so hard in the head that he had to be taken away by ambulance from the field. Like, they could not wake him back up on the field. Did I tell you that? Uh, I thought so because he had, like, that <laughs> not, brain. Not in this or podcast. Okay. Well, anyway, he had, I know maybe it was from the documentary because I got very obsessed with no, this that's, case. No,
1: but... I think that's true. I just didn't mention it. But I mean, <laughs> we know that he has brain damage and actually to so i'm going to go a little bit more into what they found um so medical examiners delivered her name this is brain weighing 1573 grams to their lab from the outside it looked very typical so it looked normal didn't look like there was any damage no lesions no bruises no abnormalities When they slice the brain into sections, this is when they discovered all the damage. So the ventricles were dilated in response to the brain shrinking. Researchers determined that Hernandez had lost brain tissue. Membranes that were supposed to be firm had grown thin and gelatinous. McKee said there were abnormalities, large holes in parts of his brain. The hippocampus, which plays a key role in memory, had shrunk. The fornix, which also contributes to memory function, had atrophied. The frontal lobe, which is responsible for problem-solving, judgment, impulse, control, and social behavior, had been pockmarked with protein. The amygdala, which produces emotional regulation, emotional behavior, fear, and anxiety, had been affected. The temporal lobe, which processes sights and sounds, showed significant damage. So together, the conclusion was the findings were super unusual with an individual this age. We've never seen this in the 468 brains except in individuals over, you know, 46 years old, like I said. So this, I mean, can you imagine all that in one person's brain? No. And
0: I, if it wasn't this that killed him or this that took him down, like the suicide, there's no way he would have lived like a long life. Not a productive one, not one where he, you know, was able to make decisions or regulate himself even outside of football or outside of the crimes well, like there's no way
1: and i think too i mean this helps you understand a lot of his behaviors and could help you understand his suicide as well you know this impulse right. he could have been sad for one second and decided to do this right um and actually of the um So this research center has discovered CT in more than a hundred former NFL players and a handful of them actually did commit suicide. So unfortunately, a lot of football players that have been diagnosed with CTE do later commit suicide. Um, But yeah, this is one of the most damaged brains they'd ever seen. Like I said, pretty much all this is quoted from the Washington Post. I actually am just reading the article right now, which is why it may seem a little like all over the place. Um, Great article, though. (laughs) I was shocked. Like literally when I started reading, it, I was like, I can't put this all into my own words. I just need to direct quote it because i think this shows so much more than you know his whole, i would just like to know what his life would have been like without all the severe brain damage and i think a lot of it was probably from the field and you know playing football and all the damage he had gotten both from playing since he was like 8 years old to an adult and also what were the effects of all the drugs he was taking on his brain that was already so prone to damage you know and already had so much damage
0: Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, he couldn't have known that this was what was going on with him, like, biologically. But the impulse control already Mm -hmm. was weakened. And then drugs weaken your impulse control. And I don't know. And then all the trauma from his childhood. like Mm -hmm. I could not – like, knowing all of this now, there's – I can't expect that anything else would have happened for him in his life. Like, this is exactly what he was pushed towards. Yeah. And
1: we're all – To kind of close this out, to research this, I did watch a lot of YouTube videos, went on Wikipedia a lot, um, went on The Washington Post, Rolling Stone, Boston Globe. Um, But after researching all this, like, obviously I knew a decent amount because I watched the Netflix series and I've watched other videos on it. But it made me, like, probably feel the most sympathy I've had for a killer before. Oh, yeah. Like, so much sympathy for him. And it just seems it's so sad. Like, he had everything, you know, as an adult. Like, he had the opportunity to excel and be so great, but unfortunately, I think he already had, you know, a bad start to life with the abuse he lived through, and then his coping strategies weren't the best, and then the brain damage that he was, it just became a perfect storm. We'll know? talk about nature versus nurture. Our you favorite know, debate. Like, our favorite this, debate. Is,
0: this is one of the very few cases where I see both, yeah. you know, like, Yeah, playing football is a precursor to having brain injuries, but it's also what he was pushed to do by his father, like be good at sports, be a man, be a man's man. And when you're in an abusive household, when you're hiding your sexuality, when you're pushed to do something that you're good at because you're big, it's not necessarily all nature's fault, you know? like yeah. he was set up for these things his brain definitely took a big part of the, the hits but well and the finding found anything- to that
1: her his brain already held those like um precursors were getting brain amateurs a lot easier like right. the, he they already had that so that already like you're kind of born that way um yeah. but yeah i mean who would have who knows what would have turned out to be aaron Hernandez? If- these things didn't happen. Even if like one of the elements was missing, right? Even if he didn't have all this brain damage, what would have happened? I feel like he would have still been very angry, but I don't know if he would have murdered someone for owing him a little bit of money. Right. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, hundred percent he murdered Odin um, and probably the two other men as well. So all that seems to be clear and firm. And I think everyone is there, but I think once you do all the research, it becomes like very sad. And I could see why after, you know, um Cheyenne is seeing this I have said her name 15 different ways I'm very aware but um after her seeing this I could see why she has that like steadfast he's innocent um because I wonder if this was all came out at court say like we you could somehow study someone's brain without them being dead and having to cut up into pieces I wonder if his sentence would have been different knowing he had all this brain damage like if you could somehow see that right right just to play devil's advocate because you could plead insanity that way
0: you plead insanity you could play uh Plea mental deficiencies, yeah. and I mean, we just talked about Matthew Reeves at the beginning in Dark News, right? He was mentally deficient, and that didn't affect his case. It was still yeah. okay. Well, you still had enough capacity to figure out how to kill somebody, so you're being held accountable for those actions. Yeah. But in this case, his brain—they said it was the worst out of the f- almost 470 that they had seen.
1: At you 26.
0: Know, at tw- yeah, tw- 26, 27 years 27, old. Like, yeah. He's lived his brain has lived almost 80 years longer than his body, basically. I mean, they were saying that they have
1: not seen as most damage unless someone else is CT at the age of like 50. Right. So double the age of what he was, right? I mean, he's 27 when he died. Overall, I mean, I was really sad by the time I was finished researching this. This also, I researched this all in one go. Like once I got in, I couldn't stop. Oh yeah. This Um, is definitely one of those cases. This is definitely like one of my favorite cases i think my favorite case i've ever researched so that's
0: big that's big for you
1: i know but i think that's all i have to say about it it's sad um it's sad for everyone involved not just for him but it's sad for everyone involved and i'm i am so glad they donated his brain to science like i think that is so great i think it's gonna help so much with the research of cte and just brain damage in general
0: i had to pull up like the picture of the brains while you were talking about it so it'll definitely
1: be yeah it'll (laughs) be on our instagram follow us on instagram at is that too dark um we post every sunday we try to post intermittently throughout as well but tell a friend um we'll be back next sunday with another new episode maybe or unless the plague kills us you just don't know (laughs) I I got my
0: episode research so you can you can like read my research possibly if I'm one to go because you know how good I
1: am at reading things that I haven't wrote so good (laughs) maybe read it to yourself I mean you know how good I am at just reading out loud (laughs) really (laughs) iconic all right everyone thanks for listening don't forget to tell a friend and
0: go football go football
1: do sports
0: do sports super bowl's coming up bye